Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Mental Corner Podcast, the show where I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk all the things mental health. I'm your host, Harry Pavin, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Kieran O'Neill. Kieran is a former national boxer for Great Britain, a mental performance coach, and the founder of Total Mental Performance. His goal is to help a thousand people by the end of 2023 with their mental performance all over the socioeconomic scale. Kieran was so fun to talk to, and I really want to thank him again for coming on and having this discussion with me. Also, I have to address it. I know that this episode is a day late. I apologize. I've actually taken a couple days off of all my social media, and I gotta say, man, it feels so good. It feels really good to just unplug. So if you're one of those people who, you know, they, they spend hours on your phone every single day and you need a sign to get off and just go outside, man, this is it. You, you'll feel so good, I promise you. I, I feel like a not a change person because that's probably a little over dramatic, but I feel so much better. Now, before we get started here, guys, you know the drill. If you're listening, please like, comment, share, subscribe, give five stars. If you're on that podcast platform, share with someone who might want to hear this episode. It's a really great one and I can't wait for you to listen. I'll talk to you all very soon. Go get some of that vitamin D because that sun is shining. Peace. live kieran thank you so much for joining me today man i appreciate it yeah no problem thanks for having me on so before we get into anything really i wanted to get to know you a little bit better so in terms of mental health where does your kind of journey where does that start why does that start what a great question uh it started uh in quite a dark place i think when i first started to recognize hang on a minute i have feelings and these ones aren't quite nice feelings and i have uh, some self-limiting beliefs. I didn't even know that there were self-limiting beliefs. But I was like, I don't believe in myself. What's all this about? And I just assumed that was normal or it was mm. just me. It was like a really weird mix. So I think it culminated in a period of time where um, I had an eating disorder. Um, I was boxing on the England team and I just wasn't able to maintain that weight. Um, I didn't leave my house for two weeks. I was having some really suicidal thoughts. By really, I mean driving down the motorway at 100 miles an hour ready to crash the car into the side of the wall. Uh, my mum found me in a service station, crying my eyes out, shaking. Uh, I think that was kind of where my journey really started. When you know what? Maybe I should look into this. Maybe there's something not right here. Uh, and that's one thing that I think uh, men in particular are, are really good at is uh, leaving things much later before raising their hands and going, oh, okay, I need, I need some help here. I think that's where my journey would start. So in the, in the space of maybe, I don't know, two, three months, um, I basically got kicked off the England team for a couple of reasons. Not being good enough was one of them. Uh, but number two was just I couldn't maintain the weight. I was too big for my weight category. Uh, so off the back of that, um, I was in a load of debt off of the boxing team side of the things. And from a business I tried to set up that I failed. So I was 15 grand in debt. I've got an eating disorder. Doesn't look like the boxing thing's going to take off. I'm living off my auntie's sofa in a one-bedroom council in a flat in a state in south london um it all kind of just imploded uh didn't leave my parents house for like two weeks it, it got really bad you know it got really like okay i can't do this alone um so that's where it started that was where i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna raise my hand i need some help 
Uh, and it was through that I found a, a therapist um, who was a former kickboxing world champion, Hazel Gale, amazing lady. Uh, and she helped me. I could really respect her because she'd boxed and, and she, she had boxed at a world level. So I thought, okay, she'll understand me. I tried to find some male therapists. There aren't many. I think in the UK, 80% of all therapists are female. Uh, I don't know what it's like in Canada. Um, but yeah, the, the split's pretty, pretty big. And then I, I couldn't find anyone that was a therapist that had boxed. So I was very lucky to have found her. And then she just asked me a series of questions and guided me and, and, and helped me come out of that hole and, and, and turn the ship around. So I think that's, that's where it all started. That's where I went, right, you know what? Let's take this stuff seriously. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> for me, like, I think of the seven therapists I saw, only two were guys. And those two were awful. And I'm not saying all male therapists are awful. But in that scenario, I was like, I just can't. Because it's like a guy to a guy being vulnerable. And that is like such a red flag engraved in our brain. Mm. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, it was like, why am I being so open with a dude? Which yeah. isn't the right way to look at it, but that's just how you're taught. I think we're not. I think as guys, we're kind of taught. Well, there's a couple of things. I think at school, you kind of like everybody's insecure, but no one wants to give up. They're insecure, and then you know some some kids don't want to get picked on. You want to fit in, so we kind of take the piss out of each other, and we're like, ah, yeah, loser, ah, ha, ha. You kind of got that, and you kind of go, ah, ha, ha, ha. I'm really hurt. I'm telling you about it, and there's kind of like this culture of you know like toughen up man up and and we think about our dads our granddads their dads you know it's a different world entirely there wasn't a world of vulnerability it was literally man up and get on with it mm-hmm. you know we're in the luckiest point of of humankind in terms of resources and and, and knowledge and information uh that's not so there's not suffering the world it definitely there definitely is um but they didn't have those resources. They just had to get on with it. So that, that was our, our role model and it was kind of swept under the carpet. Um, so yeah, I, I can definitely see how, how not wanting to open up to a guy can be a little bit like, whoa, okay, well, we, well, we're not really trained to do this. <laughs> I don't know. We, ha- we could even have these conversations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, it feels wrong. <laughs> yeah, it was cheeky. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of your eating disorder, your suicidal ideologies, all of these things happening, was there like a trigger that started it or did it just over time kind of grow? Yeah, I think it was over time. I think it was just this drive to prove that I was good enough, to prove that I, I was worthy. I think uh, over time, I took something like uh, boxing which was a great sport. And I think it really changes the lives of many, many people um, for the better. Teach you really good values, teach you really good models for getting stuff done and, and, and growing. Um, but I think I twisted that into an obsession upon which that vehicle of fun, creativity and escape came the vehicle for validation and fear of not being good enough and, 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 with boxing is you have to physically train, but it also impacts the way that you eat. So you have to lose weight for fights. So then when you're not eating properly, or if you're not, if you, it'd be as little as going to a dinner and being terrified at the menu because you didn't know whether or not you could eat it to as intense as being so underweight for a fight, you end up eating so much food that you throw up everywhere because you're, you're, you're number one, you're bloated and you're binge eating, but also you don't want to, 
miss the fight because you, you, you've got to find a way to make the weight. So I think it was a gradual thing. And then it all culminated when, you know, I was training three times a day. I was eating 1500 calories uh, and then binge eating and then kind of going around in those, in those circles. On top of that, I was trying to launch a business, sleeping like four hours a night. It's just burnt out. And it was all driven by the fear of not being good enough, the fear of not being worthy, all of that emotional self-limiting beliefs stuff that really got into my head. And that's what led to that, that part of, uh, of the story where I was just, I remember lying at home, crying in bed, looking at the ceiling, thinking, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, what's the point? What is the point? Like, things are never going to get better, you know? But the good news is, I, I, you know, I wasn't prepared. I, I, I nearly did. But after that scare was kind of like my way of going, right, you know what? I, I will find a way. I don't know how I'm going to find a way, but I am. And then that's how I stumbled into to Hazel. And I was really lucky that the first therapist I found was perfect for me. Um, I was really, really lucky in that sense. Uh, she just understood exactly what was going on. Um, and I waited and I was searching and I spoke to a couple. Uh, so I would say, yeah, that's kind of gradual process. And then I kind of just got lucky and then found the right person. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no. Um, that, that Those thoughts where you're lying in bed and you're looking at the ceiling and you're going like, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. At first, it's like a passing thought. And I've said this a lot on the show. It's just kind of like a harmless, like, it's just there. And you're like, ah, whatever, shoo. But then if you don't address it, and you mentioned it just now, like guys often don't address it until way later. If you don't address that, it starts, you know, growing and growing and growing until that's all you can think about. And then it just gets deadly. Yeah, it literally, like you kind of pass it off and there's a couple of things there's it's a tricky one particularly with suicide because if you think about suicide it's just an idea so your brain has found a problem and it's kind of okay i feel like shit how can mm. i stop feeling like shit and then there's all the other ways of numbing out which is like i don't know youtube uh gaming porn gambling drugs alcohol partying you know there's loads of different ways to numb those those thoughts out um and I think you do have to get comfortable with them and go, okay, okay. There's, there's a part of me that doesn't want to be here anymore. What do I need to change? What do I need to do? What action can I take? Um, but we, as, as, as men, we ignore stuff. We bottle it up. We kind of go, ah, nah, I don't need that. Nah, it's not a big deal, you know? But actually, like you're right. The, if they start coming, they, they do grow if you're not careful. And they get bigger and they can get bigger and they can get bigger. And then they can become tiring. And you don't have energy. So then you don't want to train, but then when you don't train or work out, you uh, have less energy and then you eat less or, you, or you're eating more and it's like the opposite. And then you, you feel sluggish. You don't have the energy because you're eating and it goes, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a spiral. And the way that I describe depression in my personal experience, this isn't a clinical definition is I call it the hole. And the longer that you're in the hole, you're digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and, deeper and you know, if you're not careful, you'll just keep digging until the hole gets so deep. You're like, I can't even see the light anymore. How the hell am I going to get out of this? But mm. there are actually drop ladders and drop ladders can be friends, family, therapists, whatever. Or you can have like, well, I don't know what they're called, like ice picks. You can have little ice picks and that could just be journaling every day or that could be uh, just pulling yourself out slowly but surely. Maybe it's like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk for 10 minutes. I really don't want to go for a walk, but I'm going to do a walk. And then and you, and you just 
slowly ice pick your way out while she starts shouting up the top of the tunnel hey can someone drop me a drop ladder and somebody drops a drop ladder and then you can kind of get one and you can kind of start to work your way out but the longer that you kind of sit in that and hold that to yourself the darker and darker it gets and the harder it is and the deeper the hole gets in order to come out to the top you know so i, I that's how i describe that and then if you go so deep you go towards the the earth's core and then that's where suicide sits because that's molten lava and you go right you know what actually i don't want to go back up there it's too far now and then so uh, that's how I'd kind of describe my experience uh, of that. And it's a metaphor that I use for clients that are in a, in a bit of a darker place that, that feel like things are never going to change. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, that's a great metaphor. I, I feel, I feel like my experience was the exact same way. It was like for so long you're in the hole and you're like, ah, the top is so far. Might as well just chill and see where this goes, which is like, you know, so harmful but it's the easy way yeah and exactly if you do what is easy life will be hard but if you do what is hard life will be easy and in those moments what is hard is the ability to get up and go for the walk and you just got to celebrate that it's like, okay i went for a walk today cool you know it, mm-hmm. those those are the things but then, then you build momentum and then you go to the next bit and you go to the next bit. It's like, okay, I, I walked for 20 minutes today. Great. I don't know if you've ever seen the boxer Tyson Fury, um, but his story of depression and, and, you know, like he was huge, like absolutely huge in terms of his physical body weight. He was so big, so depressed. And, and he started walking and he started running or jogging, like light jogging and, and he kind of worked his way out and he'd come back and he won a world title. Like incredible. But it is that, it is the first step is the hardest step even if it is going for a walk or if and if it is calling someone or even if it is whatever it is but if you can somehow somehow and if i could if anyone's listening to this and they they need just a little bit of a kick just do the first thing the smallest thing then just try and then just see what happens and if it doesn't work out celebrate that you tried <laughs> and then you're like, okay i tried yeah and just keep celebrating that you're trying and then if you kind of just trying to take those tiny steps. That's all it needs is momentum. And I think when you're stuck in the hole, momentum's not there and you kind of get really stuck. It's like, how do I get the tiniest bit of momentum? I call it. It's like, uh, I don't know if you've seen like those old school um, flour mills and you kind of have to push the things around in order mm. to grind flour. Well, that's really hard when you're stuck in the hole because it's not moving and actually it's really heavy and you haven't built the muscles to build it. But if you can just try and tiny, weeny, just a little push. And you get going and there's a little bit more momentum and it's a little bit more, a little bit more. And eventually it will start moving and then you'll start feeling good. But that bit there is the hardest bit. And I think celebrating every tiny win um, and then just shutting out all the noise. Um, You don't need to look at what other people are up to. That's not going to help you. Uh, You just need to focus on your own recovery. Just do whatever the minimum is and celebrate that. Yeah, no, I, when I, um, when I would look at other people, that was, that was what, that was the killer. I'd be like, man, you know, I, I'm so, I feel so messed up internally. Like, why is everyone else doing so well? Well, it's a trap. That's mm. literally the trap, comparison trap. And particularly with today, you know, like back in the day, you only really saw what was going on with, with people that were in your village, in your tribe, in your cave. You didn't know what people at the other side of the world were doing in their in their tribe or in their village or in their cave. It was literally like, okay, this is our world. 
Whereas now, the things that gather attention are genuinely extraordinary. They are like the 0.1% of humanity. And we often see this stuff and we go, well, why aren't I making like $10 billion by the age of 20? Well, why can't, why haven't I broken onto, you know, the, the best football team in, 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 in the UK and won the Premier League at, at 22? Why haven't I done all, you know, and, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. And we didn't have that, you know, 100 years ago. We didn't even have that 30, 40 years ago. We did a little bit of TV and radio, but that was kind of more localized. So I think that's part of it. And if you're stuck in the hole, you're getting all these inputs of everyone being amazing and, and you know, and, and they're, they're smashing out of the park. You know, why aren't I smashing out of the park? Well, you don't know their story. They've probably been sat where you've sat at some point and they've had to rebuild from there, but nobody shares that. That's kind of, that's, that's kind of quiet, kind of keep that to himself. We're sharing it more now, but I think comparison is, is toxic. And I think, you know, if you can, just try and minimize your inputs. So for me, I went through periods where I just deleted, I didn't delete, I disactivated my Instagram, my Facebook. I just listened to podcasts and I just read books. And then uh, I journaled. The only, the only inputs I had really were my mum, my dad in the house, um, my therapist and some friends. <laughs> that was it. And, mm. and that, that allowed me to take the pressure off. Whereas, you know, if you're stuck in the hole and you're looking at, you know, Instagram and you're seeing all these amazing humans doing amazing stuff, you, that's, that's going to be hard that you're going to take a knock on the chin. So it's how can you minimize your inputs to really focus on celebrating that you try and then just building that momentum from that. Yeah, definitely. I like, if you go back to my Instagram when I was like at my lowest, like I wanted to just end it all. My Instagram is so happy looking like it, like Instagram isn't real life, but I think a lot of people forget that. Yeah, always. We, it's very rare that particularly men share stuff that's not going their way. You know, nobody really wants to share. Yeah, things things suck. They only share the highlights. It's like the highlight reel. They don't share like the low light reel. That would be quite an interesting concept. The low light reel. The low light reel. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people. I think a lot of people would appreciate that but I don't know if you would get as many likes, which is apparent, unfortunately, the drive that a lot of people have. It's possible. If, uh, yeah, if something's in a really dark spot, then yeah, that might, that might not kick off. And then there'd probably be some comparison. You're like, well, he had it worse than me, so I'm really bad. So like, mm. so I, I suppose there's, there's, there's a double-edged sword. Yeah, there's always going to be comparison and the the instagram algorithm is like sweating they're like we can't show this to people like we have to show them the happy stuff yeah they, uh, yeah. they love doing that so tell me when you pulled yourself out of the hole what were the insights that you learned and how did you do it what were the drop ladders well i was pretty deep in there um, so I needed a pretty big ladder because I had been getting, you know, you were talking about ice picks and stuff and I was being given them all the time. You know, my, my family, my friends, they were all there for me. Of course, my coach for swimming, my, uh, yeah, I had a lot of ice picks. I just was too stubborn to grab them. So I guess the first, you know, ladder that came down was myself. Because, you know, at the end of the day, people can tell you everything you want, but until you want to do something or you like, you feel like you should do something, it's really hard to motivate someone to do it. 
So, you know, when I almost took my own life and like, I, I saw the flash, like, you know, of like your family, your friends, your life go ahead of you. That's kind of when I was like, Ooh, shit, no, I need to do something like it's, I'm, I'm so, I'm so fucking young. Like that was literally my, it's like, God damn, like I haven't even started. So that was kind of the first ladder, I guess. And then as I started to climb, you know, that's when I felt inclined to tell people like, Hey man, I, I almost took my own life again. Well, I mean, I almost took my own life. I tried a couple of times, but no one really knew. It was like, I almost took my own life again. And, uh, you know, that's when the, the ice picks that I wanted to grab started coming. Like my friend walked me to therapy. Like she held my hand on the way to therapy because I had refused to go. Um, you know, a couple of friends that I had met over the summer, they like sat with me at university on the lawn, on the grass in the middle of campus. And we just talked about it. So like, there's all these little ice picks here and there where it was like, maybe, like, you know, like, I'm here for you, this and that, like things I had already been told already. But the fact that, you know, I had gotten so close and I was so terrified, like, I, how do I put this? I wasn't afraid of death. I actually welcomed it. Like, I, I, I found comfort in dying. I thought it was very comforting to know that I wasn't going to be here anymore. But then once you get so close, that's when the fear kicks in. And to be fortunate enough to not go through with it fully, but to still get that fear and to still get that flash, that's what got me going. Because it was like that comfort was gone. And I kind of realized who I was and what I needed to do. But, you know, all the ice picks were the same. It was just I felt inclined to grab them. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, there's like the, the cliches, like you're not alone. Like I'm here for you. Maybe you should go to therapy. Maybe this will help. And I started trying all these different things because I was so desperate to get better. Um, and that stubbornness kind of went away. So I, I guess that's, you know, I got so many ice picks throughout life, like in summary, but you know, you got to be the first ice pick to stick in the wall of that hole. Sounded yeah, wrong, but <laughs> well, you can lead a horse. You need a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink, right? So it's 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 very much having. You can have all the tools, but if you don't use them, you're never going to pull yourself out. So it's a it's a really valid point. I've got a question. What are your thoughts on death today? Um, my thoughts on death. I actually I had this conversation um, with this lady. She's a midlife coach. And she's like an end of life doula. So she kind of talks people uh, who are near the end of their life, trying to help them transition easily into the afterlife. Her name's Claudia. Um, and she came on the show and she, she asked me kind of something similar, but like, why do we fear death so much? And it's kind of viewed differently in Western civilization. It's like this big thing that everyone should be afraid of. It's like, oh, but in like the Eastern countries, you know, it's kind of welcomed and there's like a celebration of life as opposed to death. And so, you know, I mean, I feared it for so long. I didn't want to die. And then, you know, you get that comfort when you have that suicidal ideology and then you welcome it with open arms. So on one end of the spectrum, I feared it so much. And then I swung that pendulum all the way to the other side. And now I feel like I'm kind of in the middle. I feel like, you know, just live, make the most of each day. And as that's so cliche. And even saying that I hate myself, but like you know it, it's true like 
you can't go about life fearing death. You just can't. Like, you're not going to live a fulfilling life if you're terrified of what's around the corner. And it's hard because, you know, it's in our biology. Like, we're afraid of, is there a tiger in that bush? Like, that's just biological fears that we have. But there's no tiger, man. Like, unless you're living in one of those, like, for most people listening to this, there's no tiger. It's just, you you can't, you just got to welcome everything. And so I'm kind of indifferent about death right now. Um, you know, you get... I'm sure you get this too. You get the passing thoughts of, should I take my life? Because those don't go away. It's just now you kind of, you get them, you address them, and then you know how to handle them now. So it's not, it's not a fear of mine. I don't welcome it with open arms by any means. I'm just kind of indifferent and just trying to live each day. Like, you know, not that it's my last because I don't think it will be, but live it to a point where at the end of the day, I can go to bed and go, yeah, today was pretty good. Yeah, awesome. It's a fascinating subject because I I have uh, tattooed on my left wrist. I have um, memento mori, uh, lame stoic quote cliche, um, but it does really bring me back down to uh, brings me back down to earth because it's like we'll all be dead soon. <laughs> we'll literally, we'll be dead soon. Like, like mm. it's probably not as important as we think it is. Uh, so I'm kind of in this weird place with the idea of death. And so far as I've been philosophically pondering. What if it is the best thing to ever happen to us? And what if we've got this all wrong? And what if, uh, what if on the other side of it, that there is a huge adventure and we just don't know? Uh, and I've been really playing with that thought. Now, do I want to die? No. But and maybe I'm maybe I'm self deceiving. I don't know. But the the idea that maybe on the other side of death is one of the best things, but having it so much meaning in today and finding a way to have that meaning to push you through so you don't go back to those scary darker places it's kind of allowed me to kind of have less fear of it and just focusing on how can i make this reality the most fun engaging meaningful reality so actually i don't want to go there but i can if i want and on the other side of it it's, an, it's a bit of a weird headspace in at the moment uh, but that's kind of what i've been pondering philosophically what if the best thing we ever wanted is on the other side Mm. yeah yeah i that's one of those things where it's like you know you think so much and then at the end of the day you're like i don't really know <laughs> like it's a, you just don't know because none of us have like gone and we're like none of us have gone and come back and we're like hey this is what happens um like you have those dr phil people who are like yeah you know i saw the light it's like okay well all right but yeah i don't know i i, I feel the same as you it's like, maybe it is the best thing, but I don't want to go there. And I don't think, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated, but I think thinking that way, not so extensively, but just having that thought of like, Hey, maybe it is great, but none of us know. I think that will help you in this reality in the sense where you stop worrying so much about, you know, you stop worrying so much about your mortality and like when death is coming, but you also don't plan so far into the future that like, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll travel, you know, when I'm 50 or I'll do that in four years or I'll do that later. Like you start planning more recently because you're like, Hey, that's still a possibility. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's recognizing that there is, there is, I think, uh, there's a Rocky Balboa quote. Uh, it's like, there is no tomorrow. 
and tomorrow might never come. And I think uh, that's also where momentum Mori for me plays in because it's like, you'll be dead soon. Don't put mm. this off forever. You don't know what could happen. You know, if you want to go build a business, go build a business. If you want to go and travel, find a way to travel. If you want to get into a particular field and retrain, like, like do it. Because there's always going to be loads of excuses not to do it. And that could be fear, responsibilities, um, wonder, what, like worrying what people think, worrying what you think about yourself, whatever. Um, that's not to be reckless. Don't like, you know, quit your job tomorrow and go, all right, I'm out. I have a plan. And think about, ask yourself the hard questions. What do I want to do? How do I want to spend my time? Because if you don't, I think uh, Jim Carrey puts it really well in his, and, I, and I'm going to butcher the way that he puts it. This is my interpretation of what he said. But uh, essentially, depression is uh, you're fed up of playing the character uh, of the game and you don't want to be that character anymore. And you're living a life that you don't want. And it really is about, okay, well, I don't want to live this life anymore. How do I, how do I rewrite the script? The what is the character I want to be? And uh, I don't know if you've ever done it, but the self-authoring program by Jordan Peterson, for me, was a game changer. Out of that completely just ironed everything out for me. Uh, just helped me understand what kind of life I wanted to live, what kind of life I didn't want to live. You know, the psychological reasoning behind potentially having some goals and, and, and why do I want those goals? Am I doing it for me? Am I doing it for other people? And, and, and really kind of understanding that. Um, so yeah, I, I think figuring out how do you want to spend your time? What is it that you want to do uh, with the lens of you might not be here forever to do it is quite important. Yeah, definitely. What, what, what was that course by Jordan Peterson? Yeah, so if you go to selfauthoring.com, game changer. Absolute game for me personally. And I also recommend it to some of my clients depending on where they are in their, in their journey. Um, it, it really does. Because like... Think about journaling or, or writing. You're essentially giving your subconscious mind the freedom to just get whatever it is that's on your mind out on the page. And then you can analyze it. And I read through some of my old journals and I'm like, whoa, I was really thinking like that. I'd really responded like that. I really have those feelings. And you forget. You completely forget. Um, so what, what that does is it allows you to reprocess your past and looking at key life events that led you to be the person you are today. And it allows you to look at your strengths and weaknesses and how you can harness those. And then in the future, it's helping you understand, okay, well, if there was a future for me worth going after, what would that look like? Because I think we often forget about what life could look like. We often forget what we want uh, or we don't ask ourselves the questions. And then that's where things get really hard because if you can't see a future and you've got nothing to look forward to and you've got no hope, why bother? <laughs> like, why bother? Whereas if you can muster up the energy four minutes a day to write four minutes of okay this is what life could look like tomorrow and if you feel like writing more you can write more but if you don't you've done your four minutes and you celebrate that win um yeah that that program was a game changer for me yeah no that sounds great it, it, it and it could be it could be something small like for me you know there was one point in 2019 where i did not want to be here like i was convinced and you know my my relationship with suicidal ideologies and major depression was kind of like a, a couple waves, but uh, when it was really high, um, it was kind of when the Raptors started playing in the finals for NBA, or like they had their NBA championship run for Toronto. And I've mentioned this not on the podcast, not on the podcast, but in a different video. But uh, that's what I looked forward to every day. It was like 
oh, the Raptors play tomorrow. It's like, I really don't want to be here, but man, I got to watch those Raptors because I don't, I want to be a part of history. And it can be something small like that. I think people often laugh at that, like not that, not my thing, but like they often laugh at the small things where it's like, oh man, there's this coffee shop I want to go to tomorrow. I really want to go there. And people are like, that's, that's what you're looking forward to. That's your thing. It's like, well, it's better than freaking nothing. Man, that's so beautiful. And uh, that Raptors example, like, and people forget that, you know, think about that in a, in a deeper level. Like it's, your, it's part of your tribe. So you got a little bit of a community around you. There's excitement. There is support. Ultimately, there's love. Even when they lose, you still love them. You're never going to change. You're never going to change your team. Like your team is your team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's one thing that um, Matt McConaughey talks about a lot, which is the ability to experience joy. You don't have to have everything great going on in your life. You can still experience joy. Uh, even it is hard when your team isn't performing and it's outside of your control. So I'm an Arsenal fan in, in, in UK football and uh, it's tough at the moment. You know, when I grew up, we were winning all the leagues. We were, you know, we, 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 had, the, we had the best team in, in Premier League history and so far as went a whole season undefeated. They were called the Invincibles. I grew up with that. I went nowhere near that anymore. We're like mid-table. <laughs> uh, but I still love them and I will always love them. Uh, and it is having those little moments of joy that you can experience. For some people, it's, it could be playing a sport, could be just going for a round of golf, could be reading the newspaper. If there's some people are like that, like whatever it is, like those little moments of joy, I think they're underrated. And if we look at it from a mental performance perspective and, and getting to peak performance, it's like you need those little outlets, you need those little breaks, those little moments where it's like, yeah, you know what? Fine. So for me, I, I like. Here's a little uh, funny one. I like Transformers. I've always loved Transformers. <laughs> I think they're great films. And every now and then, I will go and put on Transformers. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. And I watch the film, and and I love it, and I embrace my inner child, and that's cool. And you know, if I've, I've had girlfriends in the past, I thought that's really lame. And I says, I don't care. <laughs> but you don't care. <laughs> like that's my little moment of joy. Uh, try and take it away from me. So I think, yeah, having those little things. The little anchor points can can make a huge difference. Yeah, no, for me, it's Disney movies. Like The Lion King has been my favorite movie since I was like born. And just watching it, your inner child comes out. You're like, oh, yay, Lion King. And it's like, I don't care if you think that's stupid because I like it. So you can fuck off. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's where confidence comes from. It's accepting oneself and accepting one's, I think, core confidence comes from somebody being able to put them, them true selves out into the world and dealing with whatever comes back, whether that's positive or negative. And I, I think, you know, as you become more confident and, and more comfortable in your own skin, you kind of go, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to wait up till five in the morning to watch two men punch each other on the head. Really Joe Saunders and Canela. Yeah. Yeah. I am going to do that because that's what I love. You know, uh, I wind up my friend about his wrestling sometimes, but he loves wrestling. So it's like, yeah, fair play. Like he absolutely loves WWE. If that's his thing, then like love it. Absolutely love it. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Man, when Canelo was mid-fight, off topic, but when Canelo was mid-fight and he started going like this to the crowd, I was like, Oh, there's no oh, way. Man. There's no way Billy Joe has it. And he's gone. Wow. Well, fun fact, Billy Joe Saunders is from a town next to mine. Uh, so I grew up in Wayne Garden City. The town next door is Hatfield. So um I don't know him personally. I've seen him in the pub. Uh, he's he's friends with um, my cousin's best friend, so like small little community. Uh, and 
as soon as that eye went, uh, he was done. Uh, he was done. That was a horror, horrific, horrific injury. And, and Canelo, you know, Canelo was having a, an intellectual wrestle with him. He was finding it hard. And then as soon as he saw the eye socket, that's it. Put his hands up in the air. And he's like, I- I've got you. You're, you're finished. And it's like, that's the crazy thing about boxing is it takes one punch. And it's like, you can't even say it's a lucky punch because he intended to hit him with an uppercut <laughs> and hit him with an uppercut yeah. and cause crazy damage. It's like, well, it's never really a lucky punch, but it's, uh, yeah. But like, even just look at us having like, this is joy. <laughs> this is fun having these conversations. And if some people think that's lame, that's okay. That's fine. It's more of a projection on them and their inability to watch others experience joy or, or maybe the topic triggers them or whatever. You know, if you see somebody that's loving something and, and it triggers something in you, instead of saying they've triggered me, well, ask yourself that part. What part of me is triggered? Why don't I like that? What's that about? You know? But it, having those little hooks. Yeah. If, if sorry, um, if more people thought like that, where it's like, why did this trigger me? We wouldn't have as much hate on social media. I'm telling you, everyone's no. triggered about everything. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, well, this has triggered me, right? Could be, could be, I don't know, comparison syndrome. It could be somebody's written a post and you disagree with it. And you're, oh. Instead of them going, it's easy for us to push and, and blame and say, well, they're just an arsehole. <laughs> they're just an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. But actually, if you can be self-aware enough to go, well, what is it that's triggering me? What part of me doesn't like? that what what is it what is the issue here that i think really allows you to formulate your ideas and, and positions on things um, but it's also growth it's going to those parts of ourselves that we might not like about ourselves and going well yeah why did that trigger me what is that all about what don't i like those are the things i think and that's why I, I enjoy if i get triggered i try and if i calm myself down if i've been really triggered i go okay that's interesting i'll journal on it and then what was it that that triggered me on that what was it? And, and just learning about that, you have some really big insights to be had. Yeah, no, definitely. I, um, I, man, I, when I, when I used to get really angry, like really, really mad, like blackout angry, if I had just taken a step back and gone, Hey, why, why does that bother me? Because there were points like with my family, let's say where I was having a really heated argument with my brother, or my dad or whoever, and they go, why are you so mad right now? And then that makes you go, I don't know. <laughs> and then you just kind of calm down. It's like, I don't know why I took that so seriously. It's just, you, you forget, you, you forget to take that step back because sometimes you just, you get so consumed into that anger, that adrenaline. Well, strong emotions make us stupid. <laughs> it doesn't matter yes. which one. All strong emotions make you stupid and it cuts down our options. It cuts down our timeframes and uh, we behave in, in crazy ways but that's what makes us human and that's what makes us animals otherwise it'd be boring um but when we do get triggered and, and that whatever the feeling is that rises up it's like oh okay yeah what is that about and it's not always possible sometimes we're gonna lose our we're gonna lose our shit and that's okay and if you can instead of beating yourself up you go you know what i lost my shit put my hands up i messed up but we learn we move yeah, that's that's a hard thing to do. Push that ego away and go, hey man, like I was in the wrong there. That's oh my god, especially for a dude. Oh, like I, when I do it, even now, I'm always like, motherfucker. Like I don't want to do it. I'm like, oh, this this feels the worst. 
but again, it's like if you do what's hard, life will be easy. And if you do what's what is easy, life will be hard. What'd be easier to do would be just to let that relationship fester that you've just kind of taken a little punch. So Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about the uh, emotional bank account. When we have arguments with people, we're just making withdrawals from that bank account. If you keep withdrawing, it's going to go overdrawn and the relationship's going to turn sour. So you can either, you've either just taken a little withdrawal and you can kind of put another deposit back in it and apologize, or you can keep taking withdrawals by ignoring it. And then eventually that relationship goes. And the more that, that happens, you become more isolated and it goes and it goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. And it goes. Like, yeah, being able to go, yeah, you know what, man? I fucked up. <laughs> Fucked up. Shouldn't have done it. I apologize. I appreciate you might not be able to accept my apology. You're not in a position ready to accept that. And that, that that's okay. But I just want to let you know I'm sorry. I know most of the time, you know, everybody's doing the best with what they have. And if somebody apologizes to me, I usually try and take the step back and go, okay. And if I need more time to process it, I appreciate the apology. Thank you. It takes a lot to process. Uh, but again, that's why I've got... Um, Next tattoo is Ego is the Enemy. So that was inspired by the book Ryan Holiday, which is again, again tacky, but it works. I just look at it and I go, okay, you know, I'm going to be dead soon. And am I being an arsehole about this? <laughs> no, okay. Is my ego getting in the way? Okay. You know, is, is, is there something to be learned here? And, I, and I'm ignoring it because I think I'm above the information or I'm above the teacher or, or whatever. Like, what is the thing that, that's holding me back? And I think separation of ego. It's hard, but necessary. Yeah, yeah. No, I, my ego's definitely gotten in the way many times. Like, I've had I've had relationships with, with people where, you know, like a year or two down the road, I I refuse to talk to them, and you just think about, it and you're like, why? And like, you spend so much energy sitting there and hating them. You're like, Ugh, like. I hate their face. I hope they're doing terrible right now. And then you just really think about like, think of all the things I could be doing with that energy. And I'm, they're living in my head rent free. Like just, just figure it out, man. Or if you don't want to figure it out, just forgive them internally and move the hell on like that. I had to tell myself that I had to sit down with myself a lot the last couple of years. Cause you know, people, you know, it's life. People do thing. People do you wrong. That's going to happen. People don't like you. Things happen. But I really, I've really had to sit down and go like, move the hell on, man. Like it, there were days where I just sit there and let it consume me. And you're like, this isn't productive. Like, I feel like I'm regressing. It's, I don't have to talk to them ever again. And I don't want to, but I'm not going to sit here and let them control how I feel because for all you know, they don't give a crap about what you're doing. Like they don't, they're not thinking about you at all. Yeah, they, can be, they literally are, like you said, living rent-free in your head. It's like, why give that time effort? And you, again, you'd ask yourself the question, what part of me is triggered? What, yes. what part of me is not liking that? And that's, that's, that's what I ask myself all the time. It's like, okay, well, why are we clashing? What part of me is not happy? Maybe it's a values thing. Maybe we've got a different set of values. Maybe we've got um, a different perspective on something or whatever. But I always try and ask, it's like, what is it about me that is unhappy with it? Maybe they've just done something that. So for example, uh, that was a time in my sales career where I felt betrayed by a colleague. And um, essentially, I, I couldn't take myself out of my own levels of thinking. And it was like, we made a deal. 
we'd always tell each other this one thing if this ever happened and then that didn't happen and I feel betrayed or whatever. And it took me about a year and then uh, maybe like six, six months to a year. A friend of mine said, yeah, but you know, let me talk to you something about kingdoms. Like, kingdoms? What do you mean? He's like, yeah, everybody else has got their own kingdoms. And in those kingdoms, there are different laws and different ways of the lands and they, and they respect different cultural values. Now, this person was doing the best for his kingdom and probably didn't mean to trigger you, didn't mean to hurt you. But in that moment, in that snap moment, he had to do what was best for his kingdom and that was it. So, yes, one of your values is when you say something, you'll stick to it. And if you make someone a promise, then you'll always, you'll always uphold that. Um, but in that moment, that wasn't a value for for him and his kingdom. So you have to you have to deal with that. And that for me was like really big. That was that was like, wow, that's quite an interesting perspective. It allowed me to let go of that. So now when when you know whether it's conflicts in relationship and business or whatever, I just think, okay, what 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 is the part of me that's triggered? And then also what values am I living up to or not living up to? And where is there potentially a values clash? And and it's Easier said than done. I make it sound like, yeah, dude, just do this. It's not like that. <laughs> it's a messier process. Uh, but if you can sort of take that time, that that can be that can be really enlightening. And again, I always bring it back to self. How can I? Is there something that I need to work on, or is there some a little piece of self insight that I can build on in those scenarios? Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely stuff you can build on yourself in everything. You just got to find it. And you got to like, I'm thinking about all the times where it felt like my life was like, people were all against me. Like if I had just sat down and cause now, you know, you do, you sit down and you kind of reflect on everything and you're like, okay, what went wrong? How can I, how can I personally improve from this in the moment? I was not like that at all. It was like, my world's crumbling. Everyone hates me. And it's just my back's against the wall. I feel like a caged leopard just like with all these zookeepers around it with like rifles. That's how it felt. And I just like, if I had just taken a breath and gone like, how do I improve here? Man. Makes you think. Makes you think. And it's hard to do because we, as humans, we like to externalize. We like to blame our environments. We like to go, oh, it must be this, it must be that. And there'll be times when it is your environment. You know, if you're in software sales, sometimes the market's down. That's just the way it is. Um, but there'll be other times when actually the market isn't down, the market's roaring and you're not performing. Why not? Why not lurk inside? And uh, it's, that's where the biggest, for me, the biggest learnings, uh, the biggest breakthroughs, the biggest insights come from. And I've, I've, I love it. I'm almost addicted. <laughs> it's like an obsession. I'm like, okay, which part of me has been triggered now? Okay, well, what do I don't like about that? And then once I understand that, when I get the same inputs in, I can see through it. Okay, well, that's my value for X. That's been triggered. Great, fine. But that's okay. Whereas before, it'd be like, I can't believe this person has said or done this thing. How dare they? <laughs> what is this about? And it kind of just allows me to just be a bit more calm, a bit more relaxed. And you know, when people throw stuff at me, um, you know, there's a lot of triggering people in, in, in Dubai. There's some amazing human beings here, and I, I love being here. I came out here to speak at a, uh, an event for business owners around mental performance and mental health. Um, packed for a week, ended up staying for, uh, where are we now? That was in November. Yes, yeah, so I've been here like five, six months. 
And like, there were some really triggering people here. I was like, whoa. And I was asking myself, well, what am I being triggered by? Oh, okay. And I've met some amazing human beings here, like some of the most kind, down-to-earth people. Um, but by always asking the question, what part of me is being triggered, I, I've been able to reprocess that and, and kind of learn and, and tinker and toys. So when the same trigger comes up, I'm like, oh, okay. That's my need for respect being triggered. I can deal with that because they've just got something else going on with them. No problem. Yeah, no, definitely. And also, you know, the obvious is like sometimes people are just assholes and yeah. they, they're they not like, like they're doing something wrong because they're just an asshole <laughs> and you can't just overthink it. Like there's um, like I, I've, I've encountered people in life, no name dropping, but, you know, actually they won't even be listening. But if they did, they know who they are. Uh, but like they're just assholes <laughs> like, like you can't you can't overthink like oh why'd they do me wrong like why'd they treat me like that it's like well they treat everybody like that and like you, you just got to take take it and you can't take it personally I mean it's hard but I mean what's the point of sitting there pondering about why didn't he treat me differently than everyone like it, it's it's yeah. a waste of energy well I've kind of reached this weird point now I think that comes through my work as a cognitive hypnotherapist and an RP practitioner and performance coach. I think I've reached this weird spot now where I, I find it really hard to stay angry at assholes because I always think, just imagine being in their heads. Just mm. imagine what there's something, if they have to, like, here's an example. We, we were in a nightclub uh, a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, and uh, there's this person and, and they were calling out somebody else's actual looks and they were like, this guy, you have a, not to me, but to one of my friends, you have a receding hairline, mm. who you think you are, you're this, you're that, you're, 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 you're ugly, you know, I make loads of more money, like really quite, quite whatever. And in the moment I went, wow, but I knew exactly what was going on, like the, the levels of fear and insecurity and toxicity that was coming out, like it doesn't excuse the behavior, like you don't behave like that in public, uh, you don't behave like that at all. But I've reached this weird place where it's like, I find it really hard to stay angry at people. And I think it is just the work of working in psychology. You just recognize like to be living the life that she's living must be so horrible, must be so painful. There must be so much negative energy that's flying around because really it's just a projection of how she feels about herself onto other people. Uh, so in those scenarios, sounds really lame and cliche, which is rise above, but you, you kind of have to, you can just recognize like, well, they can't be having a great time and chances are the people around them, if they're behaving like that, don't really, aren't really going to be responding well to that. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're feeling isolated, insecure, anxious or whatever. So I've kind of reached this point now where I'm like, you are probably suffering inherently more than the shit that you're spouting right now. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just going to have to leave you with that uh, and and try not to take it on board, you know, because we don't need that that energy. No, and <laughs> this might sound rude. I don't care. But um, I realized that exactly that where like, oh, they're projecting their insecurities when I always, for some reason, get called fat. And like, I'm bigger, but I'm not. I, well, I mean, I don't know. I've got some weight on me, but it's not like whatever. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I know I'm not fat, but I've realized that everyone who openly to my face calls me fat is bigger than me. Interesting. So it's like, it's really interesting. It's like, hmm. yeah, you see the trend 
it's like only people who it, sometimes they're not bigger than me, but like they have like they're a little on the chunky side and you can just kind of before it used to get me and I used to hate my body and hate myself still have body issues, but that's from, you know, retired athlete gaining a ton of weight, eating a lot. But, um, you know, it used to really bother me. It used to be like, it consumed me. I was like, I am fat. I'm terrible. But then you look and you really think about it and you're like, Oh, this person is so insecure that they need to call someone else fat so that the attention's off of them or Mm -hmm. the attention that they think they're getting. Like at the end of the day, most people don't really care, but like, they're just trying to diverge the attention. And that's when I was like, ah, I see what's going on here. Yeah. And it's those light bulb moments you're like, oh, it's almost like I, I compare that to like figuring out how, how it's like a line in the ma- a line of code in the matrix. You're like, ah, ah, that's what's going on here. And when you figure that out, you're like, oh, okay, well, unlucky. And it's, and you know, when, when people really push your buttons, it's hard, right? If they do pick up on an insecurity, like, you know, one of my insecurities is my teeth. I had them all punched in. I don't know if you can see a little bit wonky mm. on the front. Uh, no one ever really comments on it, but uh, once somebody really called me out and went, wow, your, your, your teeth are quite horrible. God, all the British have bad teeth, don't they? And I went, in my head, I was like, whoa. And I calmed down. I was like, okay, what's that about? Yeah, I am insecure about my teeth. I don't smile that much uh, in pictures and stuff. You see my pictures, I don't really smile that much. I recognize that. And it's only recently where I've been doing a little bit more you know, public speaking or things like that and having photo shoots. And I actually realized, ah, oh, that's what this is about. Okay, cool. Excellent. So I can either embrace it, embrace my wonky teeth, continue to look really serious in all my pictures and grumpy, which I'm not. <laughs> As a person, I'm not. I just don't represent what I look like online. Uh, or I can get my teeth straightened. Uh, there's, there's, there's a number of different options, but it's down to me to, to deal with that. Um, so when people call them out, as I started to go, oh, well, that person called them out, not people. I was like, oh, yeah. Well, actually, the, the fact that they've had to call them out is probably something to do with them. And then I kind of fought back and I knew them in a personal capacity. And they, uh, they actually used to have braces, like really bad braces at, at school. So it's like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. Yeah, interesting. Really, really interesting. So it is like a line of code right, that you get to hack. Yeah. And sometimes that code is so hard to read. Like you just said, like when they're really, really good at getting your insecurities, like some people are born, born to roast and be in those roast yeah. battles, like for, for fighting, like, um, you would Michael Bisping, like in mm-hmm. UFC, yeah. I think he was so good at it. So good at trash talking and like Chael Sonnen from the States, like they, they knew how to get at you. And when people are like that, you're like, Oh, like, I, I don't even want to read the code. I'm so offended. Yeah. My feelings are so hurt. <laughs> yeah. You know, forget the code. I hate you. <laughs> code I, don't, I don't want to read. Win. <laughs> I don't wanna, yeah. I don't want to read code anymore. I'm sick of you. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. That's funny. Yeah. It is a funny one. And particularly in, in fighting sports, always, it's always that, uh, that, yeah, that, that trash tool trying to get into people's heads. Um, yeah, I was quite lucky because in the amateur scene, it didn't really happen too much. Okay, I did have one fight where, like, you know, I was on last and and they all kept walking past me. I turned up in a suit because I was working in sales at the time. And in boxing, no one turns up in suits. Everyone's there in track suits, whatever. I've, I've turned up late with suit, briefcase, like, hi. Like, it's unheard of in, in the part of the world I was in. And uh, they all started walking past me, like, staring at me. They all started laughing at my suit or whatever. And, like, whatever. And, uh, 
Then uh, there we had two other fighters on the same night from our club, and both of them got knocked clean out. Well, no, not clean out. One of them got knocked down, and he looked like he was about to get. I don't think he's clean out, but I think he, he like they stopped the fight, and then he, he kind of got helped up to his feet. The other one got like 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 battered and then stopped. Um, so then I'm thinking, and this is, and this fight is top of the bill as well. So it's like you know, it's like one o'clock in the morning, half twelve. Uh, so everybody's really pissed up and drunk, and like the atmosphere is really big, and they're all trying to get into my head or whatever. And uh, and then they start, they did this other thing, so they were all trying to get into my head. And then I got into the ring, and we agreed the fight to be three three minute rounds, but they changed it last minute to try and get into my head. And they said, no, no, we agreed to four two minute rounds. I'm actually in the ring. I'm ready for three three minute rounds what? or whatever. Yeah, they changed the, the 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 agreed format of the fight last minute, so. Throughout all of that noise, I'd been so chilled out. They were all trying to get into my head. The whole night, I wasn't listening to any of them. I was being really relaxed. And then as soon as I got into the ring, I just stared the guy straight in the eyes. I didn't take my eyes off him. And I was just staring at him. He goes, right, there's no one out here anymore. It's just you and me, buddy. And as, the, as my corner are arguing with his coach and arguing with the referee, he's sort of started looking at them. And then he started looking at the crowd. And, he, and then he's looked at me. And I'm staring at him still. And then he kind of like flinched. I went, I've got you. That's it. Ooh. And then, uh, and then my, my coach said, uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to, do you want to leave, do you want like, do you want to leave this fight or do you want to concede and do the four two minute rounds? I said, I don't care. Just let me at him. And, uh, I boxed really, really well, got the win. Um, and then that, that was it. But all of the other inputs and people trying to get into your head and people trying to, trying to psych you out and, and whatever, you got to really like shut out that noise. That's a part of the game I enjoyed. Um, but I never had somebody like trying to pick on my insecurities. And I think that would be a, the ultimate test. I love, would have not seen it for what it was, but I just don't know. I just don't know whether or not I would have had that, that knowledge to kind of not get triggered, you know? Yeah. You got to be really mentally tough. You got to do that practice a lot <laughs> for that to go, eh, you know, that's, that's me in a, in a fighting sense. Oh my goodness. Just, Oh man. Did, do you think that um, do you think that your experience with boxing helped in terms of like with your mental health journey in a sense? Yeah, it did because I think uh, you have to work hard, and I think with your mental health journey, you have to work hard. Mm. Whatever hard and hard is subjective, right? Hard could be literally going for a walk and pulling yourself out of the hole via just going for a ten minute walk. That could be your hard, and that's fine, and that's okay. So I think having that ability to work hard, but then also following instructions. So you're always taught, okay, your, your corner will tell you, dude, don't move to your left. You're going to get hit with a right hand and move to the right. So when, you, when your therapist says, right, dude, don't respond in these situations like this. Take a minute, go out and do this. Or write down three things you're grateful for every day or whatever. I was quite good at just going, follow, follow the program, follow, just do what it is that you need to do. So I think that was helpful. Uh, that, that helped me. Um, just do what needs to be done. And then I kind of managed to pull myself out that way. So I think that definitely helped. I think what didn't help was like this identity that I made up about myself, which was I'm a fighter. Fighters are tough. Fighters don't show vulnerability or, or weakness. Uh, so that wasn't helpful. That, that was like, oh, everybody knows me as the fighter. And no one cares. You're right. No one cares. But in my head, everyone cared. <laughs> I told my yeah. best friends, hey, yeah. guys, I'm not going to box anymore. Uh, it's really damaging my mental health and I've got an eating disorder. And they went, oh, fair enough. 
does that mean we can go to Subway now? <laughs> I was like, yeah, we can go for a, yeah, we can go for a Subway. And I'll never forget that conversation because it really reminded me, like, you know, some of the people I was scared of, they only like me for me. <laughs> they only like me because I'm a fighter, you know? So, like, that, that uh, I think that was pros and cons. Half of it helped me out. Half of it uh, kept me in the hole. Yeah, I felt, I felt the same way it was swimming in the sense where, um, you know, because I would train, like, eight to ten times a week, so I wouldn't be able to go out very much. And I was like, oh, like, I thought everyone cared about my swimming identity. Like that was, that's all I was. I was the <laughs> swimmer. And so when I, when I was finally done, I, I texted like my best friends. I was like, Hey, that was my last meet guys. And they're like, Oh, so we're going to see you at parties now. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I thought this would be a bigger deal. <laughs> they're like, no, we get to see you more. This is great. It's like, oh, right. <laughs> they, they like me. They don't like swimmer, Harry. They just like Harry. And it's amazing how you get caught up in it, isn't it? The idea of self. Yes, it's crazy. It's it, the idea of self is so strange to me because, like, whoever you think you are is not how other people see you, which always trips me out. Like that that th- that thing they say where it's like, if I for, I don't know who the original person that said it was, but if you saw yourself in the street, you wouldn't know that that was you. That trips me out on a daily basis. Uh, I've never even considered that. Yeah, I've never even thought about that. Wow, that's such. Yeah, that's gonna be my. Uh, I'm gonna marinate that for a couple of weeks, and I'll probably send you a voice note. <laughs> but, hey, dude, this is my conclusion. Wow. Hey, you messed me up. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. No, it, that messed me up for like a week because I was like, no, I could for sure, I could. And then you watch like, like even when I'm editing this podcast, sometimes it's trippy to me to see me talk. Because in my head, I, I, know, I think I know who this person is talking. And then I'll look at it in the camera and I'm like, who is that? Yeah. <laughs> that's not me. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's such an... In- yeah, yeah. Because I, when I do this stuff, I just record and I just, I just give it to my video editors. And I'm wondering if there's a form of self-deception or a, a form of self-avoidance. Because I don't, I don't... I'm like, you know, I haven't got time. Maybe I'm rationalizing this, but I just... I just go right. You guys, you guys do with that. I don't want to. I don't hear it back. So that's fascinating. That's a really fascinating exercise. You saw yourself in the street, or heard yourself on a podcast. You wouldn't recognize yourself. I, uh, I actually, it happened recently, and for me, sometimes it's a little extreme because I'm a guy who loves to paint a picture in my head that's not real. Um, it comes from being a kid who loves Disney, but um, like I was listening because I usually don't listen to myself. I hate listening to myself for whatever reason. It's just, I find it weird. Not that it is weird. It's just who I am. But I was listening to a podcast that I was in. And so the beginning was like this week on the show. And then it showed a little snippet of me talking before the theme music came on. And I was like, was that me? Because it was like, that didn't sound like what I thought I sound like. It was so weird. Yeah, it was wow. really, yeah. it tripped me out. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, you. thanks for that knowledge bomb. That, that's, that's given me a lot to a lot to think about. I remember once on a, I did an online webinar and workshop around managing emotional meltdowns, and I listened back to that, and I actually thought I came across with loads of energy. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I was, I was pumped to deliver that, and I listened to it back, and I was like, I'm probably about 40% as pumped as I felt. <laughs> that's what it sounds <laughs> like, so it's, it is fascinating because I've, I've got a small, had a small moment like that. Uh, so yeah, that is, that is super fascinating. 
Yeah. That's, that's why I love having like friends who aren't afraid to share their opinions, like no yes men, because yeah. they, they see what, like, they see what you don't. And like, you know, sometimes when I'm talking on this podcast, I feel like my voice is very monotone and I'm like, oh shit, it probably sounds like I don't want to be here. And it like, if you're just listening, like if you don't see my facial expression, if you just see, listen to the audio, you're probably like, this guy is like dead inside. But then my friend's like, no, no, it's good, man. Like you, you sound energetic. I'm like, what? No, I don't. I like, I, cause I feel like I sound so ugh. Like, that's just my perception. It's, it's weird to get other people's ideas of who you are. And then you get the whole kind of, it, it's so weird. Yeah. That's, it's always something that trips me out. Well, one of my clients asked me the other day, do you think you ever really know yourself? And I thought, that's a great question. I don't think we do. I think parts of ourselves are exposed in every single moment. Uh, we're going to get new stimulus, right? None of us have dealt with a pandemic before. We, we figure out who, you know, who we are pandemic versions of ourselves <laughs> you know maybe it's uh you're you're in a cup final and you've got to score the winning goal and it's like okay well here's a cup final version of ourselves and we're always changing so much we're changing so fast it's like do i really think we ever know ourselves no because there's an infinite amount of possibilities that could happen so how could i really know myself if i haven't experienced all of them so i yeah this is where we could go down an existential rabbit hole upon which we never leave <laughs> Yeah, no, we got to watch out. <laughs> We're going to fall down into a different hole. <laughs> oh, man. Well, listen, Kieran, th thank you for coming on, man. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've loved it, dude. I've actually, these are the conversations that I really like. These are like some of these like campfire stories. <laughs> it's, like yes. cool. exactly. it's like sharing those camp campfire stories and, you know, you just don't know who's and the beauty is it of this is we can share it with others and you don't know who's listening and they might hear this and go wow yeah that's useful or wow okay i never considered that so yeah thanks for having me on i really appreciate it yeah no that that's why i love doing this show is because you get people messaging and they're like hey this had an impact and you're like that like it's <laughs> it's stuff that you would never think would have an impact and people like really gravitate to it so it's awesome man before we let you go um and before we give you that plug for all your socials, um, if someone is listening and because we've already talked about people who are in that depression hole and like who like how they should start kind of climbing. If you are on the outside looking in as a friend or family member and someone that you love is like visibly there, how how do you go about starting that conversation? That's always really hard because everybody's so different. Some people, you, you say anything and a lot of guys are going, fine, fine, fine. You're overreacting. Everything's fine. So you kind of have to judge the, the person, not judge them in, in so far as their identity. I mean, judge how you respond to that person. Um, but I think just letting them know that I know you're finding things hard right now and uh, I'm not going to push anything on you. If you just need a space to just let, let some stuff go, I'm here. And that's it. And, and it can just be little little things. Maybe you just invite them. They'll probably always say no. Or even if you just say, hey, I'm going for a walk, feel free to join. Absolutely no worries. You know, maybe dropping them off little books if they're interested in that. Some people take it the wrong way. Some people take it the right way. Maybe you know that they're an Arsenal fan and Arsenal playing on, on Thursday. Say, hey, man, I'm going to have pizza on Thursday. I'm going to come watch the game. And you never know. That might just be the day where they go, fine. Um, so just drop those little drop ladders. Those little, those little, they'd be really subtle. 
and just let them know, look, I know you're having a tough time. Um, here, I, I'm here for you if you need a space to just get something off your chest. Um, just always know that um, I love you, I care about you, and just, and that's it. And then yeah, just those little those little pick out, and they might they might not respond to any of them. Um, I have had moments with my friends and family where I've had to sit them down and say, if you can, and I've had coaches tell me this: if you continue down this road, you're going to end up somewhere really dangerous. But you need to make sure that you're fully equipped and, and ready for that conversation, uh, and whether the person's ready for that. Um, so if you don't, if you're, and with those messages, you've got to be a hundred percent in. You got to, you got to fully believe that. Um, don't do that half-hearted and then backtrack. Um, so if you're not, if you don't think that's the right timing, the right place, and you're not the person to do that, don't do it. Just go the really subtle, gentle route. Um, but you'll know. I think you'll have an idea deep down as to whether or not the the more Hey, this is like the emergency break glass button. Like we need to, we need to talk. Um, so I don't know if that's very clear or not, but th those are sort of the two routes that uh, I I tend to play in my personal relationships. Yeah, for sure. Keep it simple. Sometimes people try to overcomplicate it, and it just kind of goes wrong, which is yeah. not their fault. It's just they care about the person so much, but sometimes simple is better. Yeah, exactly that. So uh, where can people find you, man? So finding me personally, it's Kieran, K-Y-R-A-N, Luis, L-U-I-S, O'Neill, O-N-E-I-L-L, quite a long one. Um, that's my personal page. Uh, I probably post in there once a week, just thoughts that I've been pondering or experiences I've been having and, and how that plays out in men's performance, mental health or whatever. Um, for more stuff on total men's performance, which I'm the founder of, so we help high-performing business owners, uh, entrepreneurs, and, and uh, leaders with managing challenging emotions, with uh, smashing through self-limiting beliefs to avoid personal and commercial failure and hit peak performance. So if, if you're in that camp and, it, and you are you know, struggling with some challenging emotions or, or self-limiting beliefs, if you check out our page, uh, Total Men's Performance, that's on Instagram. We're always putting out tips and advice as to how you can you can manage um, mental health, mental performance, um, personal and commercial performance. Uh, and then we have our website, which is the same as the Instagram page, www.totalmentalperformance.com. So they're the three places to, to find me. Uh, feel free to drop me a message, whether it's just you've heard something that's useful or maybe you just need a bit of advice. Whatever it is, like I, my my DMs are an open door. I'll always respond. Maybe not right away, but uh, I'll always get back to whoever reaches out to, for any help. And if I can make any introductions or advice, then I'll do whatever I can. Perfect, man. I will put all those links down below. And hopefully I can come down to Dubai when things open up over here in Canada and you can show me around. Um, I would much rather the weather that's down there than what's up here right now. So <laughs> thank oh, you again. 100%, Kieran. my man. Yeah, yeah whenever you you're here, just let me know. Yeah, no, definitely. And to all my viewers, I will see you guys next time.